0: You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Chicago Bears get good news on Nick Foles' injury, but the quarterback situation still isn't any more clear. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Today's podcast is brought to you by Pepsi. Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch during this strange 2020 season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. On today's show, we'll get the latest update on the Bears' quarterback injuries and who could start next game after the bye week against the Green Bay Packers. Then we'll dive into the All-22 Coaches film from the Bears' loss to the Vikings and take a closer look at the play calling under offensive coordinator Bill Lazor, the offensive line progress, Nick Foles' performance, and then we'll wrap up with a look at how this Bears' defense was so effective against Dalvin Cook, where they did well against Kirk Cousins, and where they struggled occasionally against this Vikings offense. When Nick Foles went down with the big hit, At the end of the fourth quarter, it did not look good. We saw a player who had trouble even getting up on his own. They had to bring the cart out onto the field and sit him up on the cart. And you heard Matt Nagy and teammates talk about how much pain Foles seemed to be in. And known as a tough guy who's taken a lot of hits in his career, you kind of assume the worst. When you see the way he reacted to the injury, the way his teammates reacted to the injury, and the way the medical training staff reacted to the injury. Even Matt Nagy, I think, was fearing the worst as recent as after that game. But as they were able to evaluate the injury a little bit more into the start of the week, it sounds like things are doing better than they first anticipated. But that doesn't mean Foles is guaranteed to be the starter the next game he's healthy. Matt Nagy left the door open for another potential quarterback change. So I would say right now, uh, the IR thing, I don't I don't see that happening. I feel pretty good with him there. Um, and then in regards to both guys right now with, with Mitch and him, they're both a little banged up. So that's the number one thing that we have to look at. And then what we'll do, Pat... in in complete honesty is we'll take this uh this this bye week here again and we will we will self-scout ourselves um and we will see the wheres and the whys and whatever we need to do uh we will do on a lot of different areas so i i don't i can't say one way or the other on anything other than we will every when you lose four games in a row it's it's all it's all on the table everything's out there so but the number one thing with nick and with mitch that we are concerned about right now is making sure that their health is the number one priority. And that'll be significant here moving forward. It would seem to me that for the Packers game in week 12, again, after the bye week, this upcoming weekend, that it may just come down to which of the two quarterbacks is healthier. Because I don't know that either one is going to quickly become 100% in just Uh, another 10 or so days before the Bears are back out on the field. Less than a full 14 days removed from Nick Foles' injury and still only a couple weeks removed from a potentially serious shoulder injury from Mitchell Trubisky that they had also feared potentially worse situations for. They're comparing it to the shoulder injury he had last year, which ended up requiring a little bit of extra off-season work and was something he ended up having to play through for a lot of the 2019 season. That was on his left shoulder last year. This year, it's the right shoulder. It's the throwing shoulder, so there's a little bit less you can play through with such an important part of the body for a quarterback. So even Matt Nagy, he's not—I don't think in this case he's trying to fool anybody or lying in any way, shape, or form. That they, I mean, they just don't know. I mean, it's going to be a medical decision first and foremost between Foles and Trubisky. The real question comes when they're both healthy and how Matt Nagy wants to handle that situation because if Foles starts the Packers game and doesn't miss a start with this hip injury, then it's how many more losses, how many more bad performances can you swallow before you switch to Mitch just to see if you can spark something again before the season is completely over or if Mitch has to start against the Packers because... Foles just isn't healthy yet, then do you give Mitch just the one game, and if he plays poorly, does Foles come in again as soon as he is completely healthy? Or if Mitch starts playing well, is that the end of Foles for this season that we end up seeing from him? And there's a lot of different ways this can go, and a lot of curiosity about where Trubisky is from a, a mental standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, he's always been known as the perfect teammate, the guy who's always there and seems to be doing everything right, but there's a certain demoralization, a certain change that happens when you're truly benched and no longer the guy on offense. So to see how Trubisky would handle that coming back into a game and coming back into that starting lineup potentially would be really interesting from a confidence standpoint and from his command of this offense. But clearly, neither quarterback has been consistently effective in this system, and it's hard to think either one is automatically going to just flip a switch here and be great for the rest of the season. So it's a matter of what you want to sacrifice. Do you want Trubisky's mobility? Do you want Foles' understanding of the offense? Whose accuracy issues and inconsistency are you more willing to put up with over the last six games? Because at least on Monday night, we started to see the rest of the offense around the quarterback step up a little bit even if the play-calling, coaching, game-planning, and scheming wasn't a fixed problem. We'll go through some observations from the All-22 Coaches film on offense, including offensive line, offensive coordinator Bill Lazor, and what the Vikings did to shut down Nick Foles. Next, on Locked On Bears. In the year of COVID, it's been a lot harder to get out to the gym and stay in shape but you can still hit your fitness goals and get a great workout at home with an Echelon. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and the all-new Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of home. Unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone, and one membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon Fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com NFL. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N, echelonfit.com NFL. A lot of the frustrating things about Bears play calling is situational, and you can see a lot of that from the broadcast tape. You don't necessarily need the full all-22 coaches angle to be frustrated at when they throw a screen pass, right? I mean, sometimes it's just the simple decisions like that and not always being prepared for what the defense is going to throw at you that you can see without having to go back through combing the tape. But I still felt like being able to slow it down and kind of take each play in its entirety helped get a bigger picture of what was going on with Bill Lazor calling the plays. And as you would expect, and as we kind of saw, it was not drastically different. But one thing I hadn't noticed watching it first was a couple of little, like, giveaway formation-type personnel decisions. The main one being... That when Anthony Miller was on the field, it was almost always a pass play. That w- it usually was a th- then three wide receivers come on the field, it was a pass play. And like some of that should be expected, but I went and checked the numbers afterward. Uh, Anthony Miller played 24 snaps, and 22 of them were passes. And I think 21 of them were him in the slot. I think he played one snap at outside wide receiver. So. It's not just like a you know sixty forty when Miller's on the on the field they're probably gonna pass. It was like when Miller's on the field they are passing. It, there's no question about it, and it's just kind of little things like that, where perhaps when you have a play caller who hasn't done it in two or three seasons, you're not you know there's a million things you're trying to think about in terms of getting the offense into a rhythm and trying to make sure that you got plays that your players can execute and that those plays make sense in conjunction with other plays that you've run and what the defense is trying to get you to do and what down and distance you're in and how much time is like that. I mean there's there's a million things you're trying to balance as a play caller and sometimes it can be easy to overlook your own tendencies and predictability points that maybe a defense could pick up on maybe they don't pick up on it right in the middle of the game but as future opponents go back and watch, they try and find these little tendencies and trends that they might be able to exploit to give them even just a little bit of the edge to know that, okay, if Anthony Miller's on the field and Nick Foles looks like he's going to hand the ball off, it's probably going to be play action because they don't, or, or, you know, with Bill Lazor as the play caller in this game, they did not run the ball much at all when Anthony Miller was on the field. So it's just like little things like that where, it's a step backwards. I mean, Matt Nagy had some of those same kind of trends, too. and But I think over the years, he's kind of ironed out some of those, so it's a little bit less predictable. It's never going to be a 50-50 split. It's never going to be perfect. You're always going to have slight tendencies here and there, and you can live with some of those as long as it's not overwhelming the way it was with Anthony Miller on Monday. I also wasn't thrilled with a lot of the second-down play-calling and Matt Nagy had talked about it after the game from his vantage point. He felt like second down was where they were losing because it was setting themselves up for some poor third downs. And for me, I, I was just kind of confused sometimes as I'm going back through. Like the Bears would be in these like second and medium down in distances, you know, eight, seven, six yards. And so often they were running the ball and getting into then these you know, third and mediums because the running game would kind of struggle to go anywhere and it would end up being a more difficult down to pick up because the running game was so ineffective and yet when they would get into like second and short, you know, whether it's second and three, second and two, even second and, and four, they would be more inclined to pass in those situations and that seems just a little bit backwards to me that second and long are generally speaking the least efficient time to hand the ball off. It's one of the worst plays you can call from an analytic standpoint, uh, in the bigger picture overall, that running on those types of down and distance situations is generally not effective because you're still, on a probability standpoint, setting yourselves up with a more difficult third down situation. Whereas, where when you're on those second and shorts, you know there's an opportunity there to run the ball and either pick up the first down or leave yourself in a third and very manageable if you're unable to pick it that's that's the situation where it's safer to run the ball because you're okay even if the run doesn't go anywhere you still get third and short instead of third and medium or long like you had from running a little bit farther back and especially in a game like this when the Vikings defense was very clearly just trying to funnel Nick Foles into the underneath checkdown throws I didn't understand some of the thought process there in those second down situations. I mean, we saw overall, I think the offensive line definitely played better than the previous game, still needs some improvement. But like Nick Foles was holding on to the ball longer. And I think that was from a trust in his offensive line. And overall, I mean, he was accurate underneath. I want to say he was like 14 of 15 on passes of 10 or fewer yards in the air. And he was like 1 of 7 on all the deeper throws. The Vikings were playing a lot of two-deep coverages. They'd show one deep safety before the snap and then rotate into two and do some different things to try and put a little bit of a shell there to prevent Nick Foles from taking those deeper shots. And then, of course, you'd see the blitzes on third and fourth down that the Bears didn't seem to have answers for, despite everybody kind of knowing that was coming. So uh, I was still a little bit concerned in that regard that those were the kind of offensive issues that needed to improve and weren't necessarily purely a play-calling issue, but somewhat of a, a coaching and scheme issue. But at least it was progress on the offensive line. Charles Leno had one of his better games that we've seen from him in a while. The blindside was relatively secure. I mean, sometimes it was just Fool's getting pressure elsewhere where he'd have to kind of scramble out of the normal pocket situation, which would take away Charles Leno's leverage. But it, it was rarely Leno actually losing his block. Still thought Rashad Coward was really struggling on the right side there. Cody Whitehair had some real issues snapping the ball. I and mean, you saw a couple of times the ball hit the dirt. But even there were some that were just a little bit off, enough off that you got like you notice it. It's outside of Foles' framework. He has to reach forward a little bit, but not always like a catastrophic fumble. That's a concern, but maybe less so just because he hasn't been practicing and he's had COVID. I mean, maybe you can kind of give this a one-week excuse and monitor it closer next week but still concerned about Rashad Coward at right tackle they could really use Jason Spriggs or Bobby Massey back over there as soon as possible Alex Barrs at left guard I thought much like last week at center he's still much more comfortable in pass protection than run blocking something about trying to get off the line of scrimmage get his hands inside that whole process seems to be a little bit slow and a little bit more of a challenge for him whereas Again, getting back into his pass set, like we talked about last week, when he can kind of see the rush coming and absorb it and be more set in that regard, rather than being the aggressor and having to kind of get there first, he can kind of sit and wait for it. Seems to be more comfortable in that kind of space and still showing potential and progress there, even if he's still not quite, I would say, a starting caliber left guard in the NFL. So basically, the coach's film for me kind of reaffirmed that Coaching, scheming, game planning, and to some extent play-calling still a major issue on this offense. And in this game in particular, quarterbacking was definitely an issue for this offense. That's been up and down throughout the season in terms of how much blame Nick Foles deserves. And to some extent, the blame for Nagy and now Bill Lazor has been up and down too. But those seem to me to still be the biggest issues. And the offensive line is slowly but steadily moving down that list. On the other side of the ball, I came away even more impressed with this Bears front seven and what they did to stifle a lot of what the Vikings wanted to do on offense. We'll go through some of the standouts on the All-22 Coaches film next on Locked On Bears. I cannot speak highly enough of what I truly believe are the best tasting protein bars ever. Built bars come in 18 flavors I've had almost all of them up to this point, and I'll tell you what, I have not had a single one that isn't absolutely delicious. To me, they taste like different variations of candy bars. Caramel brownie in particular, put that side by side with the Milky Way, and this is the far superior alternative, because we're talking only 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar, but they're loaded up with 17 grams of protein. They really are incredible. I mean, I am personally a return customer. I can't recommend it enough. You should try it for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Ryan Pace's roster decisions this offseason made it very clear that the front seven was built to be the strength of this Bears defense. And that has certainly played out this season, but probably not in the way that they thought it would be, right? With Eddie Goldman out of the picture, and in this game, McKeem Hicks leaves with an injury. Robert Quinn continues to be a underwhelming underperformer. And yet, this front seven man... They're good in every aspect of the game, even if it's not the same guys they thought would be making such a positive impact. Like, we saw Chuck Pagano, particularly in this game, you know, didn't opt for the blitz, perhaps the way we had seen him trend toward a little bit in previous weeks based on the matchup he was facing. He didn't think blitzing Kirk Cousins was completely necessary as often in this game. But the pass rush... I came away more impressed on the coaches film than I had been on the broadcast where it felt like they had a lot of guys winning their one-on-one pass rushes but Kirk Cousins was getting rid of the ball quickly and particularly just wisely like it wasn't always a quick throw but he would kind of have a very good sense of how much time he had to get rid of the ball so like he he knew when he could hold on to it and when he couldn't and I mean, that's something to expect with a, a veteran quarterback, but I didn't think at times when there wasn't enough pressure on Kirk Cousins, I didn't think it was necessarily a result of the pass rush not being good enough, but the Vikings doing a good job of scheming it and just getting the ball out to their receiver's hands because, to some extent, that still worked in the Bears' defense's favor. To some extent, that was expected and almost part of the game plan that he would have to get rid of the ball quickly. Because entering this game, the Vikings, and specifically Kirk Cousins as a quarterback, led the NFL in percentage of his pass attempts that were 20 or more yards in the air. Essentially, he was taking the most deep shots of any quarterback each week in the NFL. And against the Bears defense, I believe he had three. They were able to connect on a few of them, but it was not a very vertical Vikings offense. And not as comfortable for them in that type of way. Like they had to do a lot more underneath and and some intermediate throwing in there too, but much, much more limited on the deep shots. And so as a result, I think for the most part, the Vikings were under control with Adam Thielen and with Kyle Rudolph. Justin Jefferson had the big yards, but I think for all three of those guys, it was the yards after the catch that inflated some of those numbers, not to take anything away from a very impressive performance from Justin Jefferson. I mean, he is a legit wide receiver. Don't want to take anything away from that. He did a lot of the work himself, but there were some kind of key missed tackles in the passing game. They really did a good job of wrapping up Dalvin Cook, but for some reason, after the catch was when they were struggling wrapping up, Eddie Jackson had three missed tackles by Pro Football Focus's count. Roquan Smith had two of his own. Both of those guys are kind of known for that being one of the flaws in their game, so it wasn't completely unexpected, but I thought that allowed for a lot of extra yards that helped inflate Kirk Cousins' numbers, and to some extent, Justin Jefferson's still he was the recipient of some of their deeper air, air yard throws, deeper throws downfield, but there was some, I think, inflation from some of that. I definitely thought Justin Jefferson got the upper hand on Jalen Johnson, to. Early draft pick rookies with JJ initials going up against each other in this one, it wasn't necessarily like egregiously bad, but it was a it was a rookie game for Jalen Johnson for sure. And it's tough when Adam Thielen's one of the best route runners in the NFL, and Justin Jefferson already is a rookie looking like a technician on his routes. And it seemed like that was kind of the issue here, right? I mean, it was just that that they were good route runners with really good timing with their quarterback, and it's hard to be in perfect position every time if you're Jalen Johnson. I think he still had that nice pass breakup where he jumped the slant round. I mean, he's, he's a smart player. He's going to be able to make some of those plays. But like any quarterback, there's going to be times where you mess up and where you make mistakes and where you get beat. And this was just one of those games where he got beat quite a bit more than we'd been used to for him for most of the season. Because it, it was very clear that, you know, the Vikings were not going to be throwing at Kyle Fuller much. It was very and emphasized on attacking Jalen Johnson and also Buster Screen in the slot. We saw both the touchdowns against Screen, the vertical to Adam Thielen, where, I mean, just perfect catch, great throw, good coverage. You just, there's not a lot you can do there if you're Buster Screen. I mean, you want him to get his head around, sure, but for the most part, nine times out of ten, that is not a completed pass. That's just great execution, but then in the red zone, they, they, it was a good concept to kind of challenge what the Bears like to do there in terms of red zone coverages. It's more kind of like a there, there's some communication there with three receivers kind of covering two guys, and they're all going to react based on what the routes are. And the Vikings ran a great route concept that kind of had two receivers generally going in the same direction, which the Bears were trying to split it up. So you know, if if he goes left, you get him, and if he goes right, I get him, and they both kind of go left. So then whichever one is going to be out of position is the one you throw to. I mean, it was it was well-schemed, so it makes Buster Screen look like he's out of position, but he was more in a spot to defend inside routes, but he had to cover Thielen to the outside because no one went outside, and there was some built-in separation there. So it's like you don't want to be too hard on Buster Screen, even though it looked pretty bad, and he didn't have a great game by any means, but I thought the two touchdowns made him look worse than perhaps he was on either of those two plays, but also had some other issues throughout the game. But... Still, again, I think you take away some of the missed tackles after the catch, and it was a fine coverage performance from this Bears defense. The pass rush, again, doing its job enough to limit those deep throws because Cousins just did not have enough time to really do a lot of those. And then on top of it, you add how stellar of a run defense this was against Dalvin Cook. I mean, Akeem Hicks, absolute animal in this game up until he got hurt. I mean, he was just dominating up front. The Vikings had very, very few answers for trying to block him. And so, of course, they were missing something quite a bit when Hicks left, but I still thought Bilal Nichols was really solid up front in run defense. Brent Urban getting through and making plays, he had a couple of missed tackles, but still a lot of penetration, and even if he's not wrapping the guy up, he's blowing up the play enough for somebody else to step in and make that tackle. Typically, Roquan Smith or Danny Trevathan. And then on top of that, some much better contain and edge setting from Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, even I thought James Vauders impressed me a bit in the running game. Wasn't doing a ton from a pass rushing standpoint. He's still, you know, a former undrafted free agent, very clearly fourth in this outside linebacker rotation. The bar is low, expectations should be low, but I thought he exceeded some of those low expectations in run defense. And that really continues to be the story of this Bears defense, just with Those kind of guys, the James Vaughters, the Brent Urbans, the Mario Edwards Jr., not as much in this game for Mario Edwards, but it seems like each week they have those guys randomly finding out that this is going to be their week to step up and make big plays. And they've got enough consistency across the board from their non-superstars to be a rock-solid defense, a Super Bowl-caliber defense this season that's just been wasted by a bottom-of-the-NFL-caliber offense. Certainly the bye week is an opportunity to work on some of that, but Matt Nagy's not going to be able to fix all of it just in one week of self-scouting it and self-evaluating. But we're going to do some Bears self-scouting and self-evaluating here through this bye week. Take a little bit of a closer look at where this team is and where they have been through the first half or two-thirds of the season here what could be coming for them in the short-term future for the rest of this year, as well as taking stock of where they are from an asset standpoint this offseason. Free agent, capital, draft, draft picks, cap space, everything you need to know for what is coming ahead. That'll be all through this bye week right here on Lockdown Bears. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast to keep up with all of our daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. I know it's never great to have a weekend without Bears football, but maybe after four losses in a row, we could all use a little bit of a break there from uh, another Sunday roller coaster. But I hope you'll keep following along with us five days a week because we'll still always make sure you get to Bear down.